Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. So that's the step framework. And as you've gathered by adjusting and and shifting how you approach one or more of these four dimensions, sequence, timing, emphasis, and personalization, you can design and develop really radically different blended learning offerings. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 332 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we're talking about blended learning. And blended learning is one of those terms that almost demands to be defined because it isn't used to mean the same thing by all people. So we'll start off with our definition of blended learning. And we say it's our definition, but it draws heavily on the definition offered by the Christensen Institute and its blended learning universe. And we mention them to give credit where credit is due and because they can be good resources as your learning business explores blended learning. Their work is geared to the K-12 world, but there's still resources and ideas that a learning business could learn from and apply in the realm of continuing education, professional development, and lifelong learning. Definitely. And so now, without further ado or further disclaimers, here's our definition. For us, blended learning is a formal education program which meets three criteria. One, students learn in part through online learning with some element of student control over time, place, path, and or pace. Two, students learn in part in a brick and mortar location where instruction is facilitated. And third, the online and offline modalities are connected to provide an integrated learning experience. And I will say right off that we have gotten pushback on this definition. Obviously, we're very focused on the online versus offline or face-to-face distinction. But we know both from things we've read over time and also from feedback that we got from a recent webinar, that's not necessarily how everybody sees blended learning. Uh, For a lot of people, I think it's really the blending of synchronous and asynchronous uh, elements. So they might consider live online learning with on-demand online learning, putting those two together to be a form of blending. But obviously, that's not how we're talking about it. Yeah. And I think that in some ways, it is helpful to have a definition, even if we don't necessarily all agree on the definition. But if we're too broad in how we define blended learning, then I think it becomes somewhat unhelpful. I mean, at the extreme end of that means really all learning could be described as blended because if you're involving different types of activities and Maybe there's some homework, so that's something the student's doing on their own, but it can become sort of too diffuse, so it's therefore then unhelpful to really be able to talk about this as an approach to learning, blended learning. 
Yeah, and I feel, you know, in terms of putting asynchronous and synchronous online together, I mean, my, my perspective on that, which I, I know uh, maybe doesn't uh, sit well with some people, is just simply that that's, that's good learning. That's good e-learning. And you're taking advantage of the fact that you now can do live e-learning effectively. You now can do on-demand e-learning effectively if you're really designing learning experiences to be effective. And what you're trying to achieve is going to benefit from putting those two things together, great. That's just good learning. I don't necessarily consider that to be, quote, blended learning. Well, and there's actually a, a definition that Educause has put out for this term, bichronous online learning. And actually, to be honest, I'm not totally sure if it's bichronous or bichronous online learning, but it's this idea of when you do mix asynchronous and synchronous online learning into the same program. Now, I don't know anybody who's actually really embracing that term and labeling their offerings as Bikrinus online learning, but it does exist as a, as a potential term. And so again, for us, it really is just about having kind of that line in the sand in terms of when we say blended learning, what do we mean? And for us, it really is this combination of online learning, again, to go back to that definition where the student has some control over pace or, or timing of when they do it. And then there's the facilitated in-person component as well. I'm just looking forward to fitting the word bickerness into any conversations that I have in the, in, in the coming days and weeks, just to surprise people with that term. But I mean, really, when it comes down to it, obviously, Zoom and webinars have taken over our worlds. We're very into the synchronous, the live online learning now and the on-demand online learning. But if you go back to the origins of blended learning back in ye old days, when we were just getting started in the world of e-learning, it clearly was the online offline distinction that was at the heart of it. And that kind of gets back to where the Christensen Institute is coming from. And then, of course, the other reason that we think the online, offline, the blending of those two components is particularly important right now is just the fact that we are emerging from COVID. And in this world where we had to almost entirely rely on online learning for a period of months to you know up to years in some cases, and now we're back in a place where gathering together in person again seems reasonable, seems relatively safe. And so I think there is this just new question of why and when do we choose to gather in person versus why and when do we choose to learn online? Right. So in, in terms of why to focus on blended learning right now, there are two reasons. And of course, that, that first one is that big picture reason, you know, that we're in this post-COVID emerging from COVID world and, and learners and learning businesses are looking for that good balance between in-person and online. And if we take this question of why focus on blended learning now to mean in this particular episode, it's driven by that big picture reason, but it's also specific to us here at Leading Learning. Because we see the importance of blended learning in this moment in history, we decided to put out an executive briefing on the topic of blended learning, and we wanted to make sure that listeners know about this resource. So you can download the briefing by going to leadinglearning.com slash blended. And the, the briefing really, I mean, this is one of the free benefits of uh, being a subscriber to Leading Learning, to following us. We put out these briefings periodically where we try to dig into topics that are really timely as blended learning is right now. And if you're looking for examples of how other organizations are doing blended learning, uh, we've got several of those in the briefing really detailing what other organizations are doing and where they're having success, how they're thinking about it, how they are rethinking it, uh, maybe given the context that they're in right now. 
if you need those examples, if you need to educate others in your organization about blended learning, if you need some data, some anecdotal evidence to bring forward for budgeting purposes, or if you just need a good framework for how to actually implement blended learning effectively, we go through a framework that, that we've laid out in the report. So it's pretty all around chock full of value. And all you got to do is go download it. It's right there for you to get. That's right. So we're going to come back to that framework that you alluded to there, Jeff, just a little bit later in this show. But for now, your key takeaway is to be sure to go to leadinglearning.com slash blended to get the executive briefing on blended learning. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com services. We started the show by defining blended learning as we use it. I'm going to also raise the term hybrid learning. I'm going to mention that in part by pointing out what blended learning isn't, at least for us. For us, hybrid learning refers to an educational approach in which some individuals participate online and other individuals participate in person. And that's usually according to learner choice. So that individual gets to choose, I'm gonna participate online or I'm gonna show up in person. And then you have instructors or facilitators who are teaching those online and in-person learners at the same time using technology like video conferencing. So you can contrast this with blended learning where all learners complete some components in person and all learners participate in other components online and the designers of the program decide when learners are to learn via in-person instruction and when via online learning activities according to a prescribed sequence of events. So both hybrid learning and blended learning involve a mix of in-person and online learning but how the mix is used differs in the two scenarios. Now, for us, what this all means is that you and your team need to have shared definitions. So if you're gonna talk about blended learning or you're gonna talk about hybrid learning or any other approach, you need to take time to unpack what that term means and make sure that you and your team are actually talking about the same thing. And it's definitely understandable why hybrid learning, or at least the idea of hybrid learning, is very attractive in our post-COVID world. And we expect we're going to see both more of hybrid and more of blended. I mean, hybrid, of course, when you've got these audiences where you want to be able to serve them both at the same time, that, that sounds attractive. But, you know, in our book, hybrid really is harder to pull off because of the need to serve those multiple audiences at the same time. And we think blended learning is really more likely to be successful in most cases than hybrid is. Right. And successful in the sense of, I think, the learning outcomes and the learning effectiveness. And if you take our definition of hybrid, where you have the online and in-person learners engaging simultaneously at the same time, then that's very hard to pull off. It tends to lead towards you are going to end up prioritizing one audience's needs over the other. So you're either going to kind of focus on the in-person people and kind of ignore the online attendees and kind of treat them almost as sort of lurkers or, or vice versa. But 
there is the chance in our book anyway to get hybrid to potentially work if you kind of unpack it and actually take the same content and use it for both online and offline learning, but you do it so that you're serving in-person learners at one time and offline learners at another. And so you're using the same resources, but you're not trying to serve them both at the same time, which is just incredibly hard to pull off well. Definitely. So having defined what we mean by blended learning, having talked about how it's different from hybrid learning, and having looked at why it's particularly resonant at this point in time, let's take a turn to the practical. And so even within our somewhat narrow definition of blended learning, meaning it has to include online and in-person components, there are still many approaches to blended learning. And so when you're designing a blended learning experience, it can be really helpful to consider four dimensions, sequence, timing, emphasis, and personalization. And we remember these four dimensions using a STEP acronym. So when developing blended learning, you have to make choices about the sequence of components. A simple blended approach that we call a front flip has learners complete an online component before showing up for further in-person learning. And this is a very popular model, especially with, uh, say, hard skills training. If a hands-on component happens in person, completing foundational content, such as a lab safety module online and doing that first can help make the time together more efficient and effective and even safer. Another simple approach to sequencing is a backflip. So learners gather in person first to kick off a blended experience, and then you follow up that in-person gathering with online content. And this approach could work well with softer skills. So coming together in person at the beginning of say a leadership focused offering might allow learners to get to know one another. And then because they have gotten to know one another, they feel more familiar with one another, then they might be more comfortable sharing their true concerns and and true issues in subsequent online meetings or a discussion forum that's part of this leadership offering. And of course, a learning business can combine front flips and back flips to create more complex combinations of blended learning. You might start online with an orientation, gather in person, and then follow up online with additional content and guidelines for student projects, gather in person again for learners to present projects, and then wrap up with additional resources online. The sequencing possibilities are essentially endless. So making the sequence clear is really important. Right. I do think that that can be kind of a pitfall of blended learning, especially when you get into combining the front flips and back flips is just really helping the learner understand where they are in the process and what they should be doing at what point, whether that's something online or something in person, you just want to make that crystal clear. So that's the S of step sequencing. And next is timing. And By timing, we mean the overall length of the experience. So is this going to be a year-long class or is it going to be an experience that's just a few weeks in duration? And then timing also refers to the elapsed time between components. So if it's going to be a year-long experience, how often are you providing content to your learners? Is that going to be something that they need to do every day, every week, something every month? So you want to look at both the overall length and then the time between whatever components make up the experience. 
And learning science has proven the positive benefits of spacing, which suggests the importance of having some time pass between components. But the benefits of spacing will need to be balanced with the reality of learners' availability and what a learning business might be able to charge for an offering. So balancing these timing considerations will give you your cadence. So that's the T, timing, and next is E, emphasis. And to go back to our definition of blended learning, it involves both face-to-face components and online components. But different experiences will place a different emphasis on those two modes. So for some, the online component might be the backbone of the experience. The majority of the content, skills, or knowledge are taught online. And then the in-person component is icing on the cake, a chance to discuss or explore application without introducing new content, skills, or knowledge. And then for other experiences, the in-person component might be the backbone with the online component supporting or reinforcing key concepts over time and allowing for retrieval practice, another learning science-backed tactic to support learning. And then, of course, some experiences will place a more equal weight on the online and in-person instruction where learners are getting essential content and practice opportunities through both the online and in-person components. So that's E, emphasis. And that brings us to P, personalization. At the core of personalization is the idea that different learners bring different prior knowledge and experience to any learning experience. And so they typically benefit from some level of customization that acknowledges their differences. And when designing blended learning, you'll have choices to make about whether all or only some components are required and whether to build some components in a way that can help you personalize the experience. Because blended learning involves multiple components by definition, it offers the potential for learners to skip ones that aren't relevant to their work or life or ones where they are already fluent with the content and the skills that are being taught. And you might also provide alternative versions of certain components. There might be a remedial module on a topic for learners who are brand new to the field or profession and a more advanced treatment of the topic for more seasoned professionals in the field. And you might also use technology to help learners identify which components are most relevant to them. You could develop a pre-assessment. Based on their specific performance, learners could be recommended specific components. Maybe they don't need to take all of them because they've tested out of some. Or the assessment might help them know where they need the remedial or more advanced version of a topic. Now, A different aspect of personalization has to do with the intimacy of the experience. When you're designing a blended learning offering, you have choices to make about the number of learners who will be allowed to participate and about the number of facilitators that will be involved. And those numbers will impact how much interaction there can be among learners and facilitators. So I think you need to keep in mind the potential appeal and benefits of kind of playing with those numbers. Some learners are going to be drawn to blended learning's promise to give them access to other learners. If that group of learners is huge, it could actually be difficult for a learner to connect with others and feel like she's a meaningful part of that group. If the group's smaller, it might be easier to get to know one another and create an environment in which learners are willing to really be open and authentic with one another. But of course, if you go 
too small, then learners may not be able to find others where they feel like their issues are the same as other learners. So there's a lot of kind of choice there that you'll have to tease out given your audience and the topic that you're teaching. And then, you know, the size of the cohort also impacts how much attention each individual learner can expect from a facilitator. Involving multiple facilitators can allow more one-on-one attention for learners, but it can also fracture the group. In, in single facilitator situations, that facilitator can unify the experience by her recurring presence and knowledge of each learner. And if that facilitator is well-respected or well-known, having access to the facilitator may drive learners to participate in a blended learning experience where they know they'll be able to interact with her over time and through that engagement with the facilitator and with each other, really kind of make the experience their own. So that's the step framework. And as you've gathered by adjusting and and shifting how you approach one or more of these four dimensions, sequence, timing, emphasis, and personalization, you can design and develop really radically different blended learning offerings. Yeah, I mean, you really can go in a lot of different directions with blended learning. It's one of the things that, uh, that I really like about it. It is so malleable. You can create these experiences that we know just because of the learning involved, the learning science involved are going to be retained better, are going to be more effective, more impactful. I think they provide great opportunities for the instructors and the facilitators to really sort of hit their stride and stretch themselves in working with students. And they also provide those opportunities for the students to really shape the experience because you're not just in, in on-demand, you're not just in the the, the the facilitated face-to-face component. You kind of get to, to pick and choose between those and how you're going to engage with each of them to really mold the experience to your needs as a learner. And I think that sort of reflects on that kind of personalization and kind of customization aspect that, that blended learning makes possible. But, you know, when it comes down to it, whatever you do, of course, you're going to want to test and validate and refine. And I think that, you know, that's going to apply to both the face-to-face component and the online component. But do your work in doing that, and you can create some very powerful learning experiences with blended learning. So that's our look at blended learning. Be sure to download our blended learning briefing. You can do that by visiting leadinglearning.com slash blended. That's our top takeaway from this episode. Go download that briefing at leadinglearning.com slash blended. At the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 332, you'll see options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe. Those subscription numbers give us some insights into what impact the podcast is having. We'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Jeff and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 332, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you.